Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. I want to give a shout out to retired police officer, law enforcement Hank Thomas, who listens to my show, and he made this interview happy. Happen. So uh, thanks, pal. I appreciate it. Happy and happy. Today on In the Mississippi Minute is a Memphis cat that made his mark on music history at a very, very, very young age. Crazy. After charting his own tunes on Billboard uh, back in the day and recording at the famed studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, he would continue his legend as Little Richard's band leader for 11 years. He penned Greenwood, Mississippi. You know, that excites me. I got Indianola and Rena Lar and Greenville, but my man here has got Greenwood. <laughs> so uh, I-, I love it, which Little Richard also recorded back in 1970 and also wrote, there's no place like home for Little Richard. Come on. He's a member of the Memphis Music Hall of Fame and in 1999 received the Professional Musician Award from the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. Inducted into the Southern Legends Entertainment and Performing Arts Hall of Fame. Look, you get the picture. So let's get to it and welcome in to the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios, one bad dude on the guitar, Travis Womack. What's up, Travis? Hello, Steve. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Where are you right now? I am in Tuscumbia, Alabama, which is like a Quad cities of Muscle Shoals, Florence, oh. and Sheffield. I moved from Memphis down here in 1969, and I've been here ever since. Is that how you got to to get to know Little Richard? Was it, or was it you writing a song for him and playing on a session with him? First? No, he just he walked into the studio. He had heard a bunch of the records coming out of out of fame, and he just walked into the studio one day unannounced. And he he said, "I want I want to cut some hits like you guys are cutting down here." Wow. So we, uh, I told Rick, I said, Little Richard's here and ready to record. <laughs> and so I told I told Little Richard, I said, you know, it's kind of ironic. Richard, me, and the other guitar player, Junior Lowe, I said, we we just finished a song about two weeks ago. And I said, we both agreed that it said, the Sunday, this would be a great thing for Little Richard or for John Fogarty, Chris Clearwater revival. And yeah. so uh, two weeks later, Little Richard walks into the studio. So I told him about that song, and he said, uh, uh, Travis, I'd like to hear it. So back then we had it on cassette uh, tapes. That's what what we used. So I took him out to my truck outside the studio, and I played it for him. He said, oh, I've got to record that. You know, I'm from Macon, Georgia. And he said, I'm a country boy. I've got to record that. So went in, and I told Rick Hall, the producer, I said, oh, Rick, 
Little Richards wanted to do mine and Junior's song, Greenwood, Mississippi. <laughs> he said, okay. So we started recording the thing, Steve, and about 15 minutes into the session, I could see Richard over in the vocal, vocal booth. He he just had this discouraged look on his face. And finally, he came out to come over to me, and he said, uh, Travis, where is that music that you were singing on? I said, well, Richard, that was, that was my demo, you know, um, that I pushed the song with. He said, uh, I want to sing on that music track. Are you kidding? <laughs> so. So I said, okay. So I went to Rick Hall. I said, Rick, he's wanting to sing on my music track. So we ended up, Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, was recorded on, on my demo track. Two weeks later, Tom Jones walks into the studio. <laughs> First thing he says is, I heard little Richard recorded down there. <laughs> said, yes, sir, he did. He said, uh, I said, of course, I had, to, I had to throw my song. I said, and he recorded one of my songs, Tom. And he said, uh, what is, what's the name of it? I said, Greenwood, Mississippi. He said, oh, I love Mississippi. I've got to hear that, Travis. So here I go again outside, <laughs> taking him outside to my truck. That victory, you're making a victory set. lap. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he, when he hear it, he said, hey, I love, I've got to record that. Oh, my. So I'll go back in the studio, <laughs> tell Rick. I said, Rick, Tom Jones is going to do Greenwood, Mississippi. He said, great. So I tell everybody, man, if I never had a, a number one song in the world, I had the two greatest rock and roll singers singing on one day. So it worked out real good. Talking to Travis Womack, I was thinking about uh, B.J. Thomas. I was about to ask you, did you ever uh, record with B.J. in the in fame? I never recorded with B.J. We've done a lot of shows through the years together, okay. and I, but we never recorded. I, I when I, I was on a, 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 a Congress records, and Tommy Cogwell had produced two records on me at American before I moved down. Right, and uh, and so. Uh, and uh, we were we were we were stirring up a, a pretty good bit of smoke up there. They both charted, and uh, but uh, Rick, had, as the old saying goes, he had made me that offer I couldn't refuse. So I come down here, and and, uh, and of course I just signed with Tommy Cobb and him. And me and Tommy, we go way back. We played together a long time. And Rick told me he said, you know, I I, I need boy I, I could I could make you bigger than you know, Dwayne Allman. I just need you, you know. So I. I talked to Tommy, and of course, Tommy, being the gentleman that he was, he let me out of my out of my contract. So, oh, that's cool. Uh, that's when I started recording uh, as an artist at Fame. So you went from Memphis we recording just, to Fame. Yes, sir. And you were. Let's talk about your age real quick. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I got to talk about this because, you know, m my journey was uh, thirty-seven years old. Finally, had a hit as an artist and writer. So that's a long. That's a, I was hard-headed, stubborn, whatever you call it. Uh, you know, but you started at a crazy young age. Was it always easy for you? And at some point, did it ever get a little bit complicated? I was, you know, eight years old. My daddy brought a guitar in. And, uh, of course, we had a large family, with, uh, two sisters and four brothers. And uh, he just said, here's a guitar. And he always pick it up and try to learn how to play it. He played He played a little bit. He played a, a lot of the Jimmy Rogers stuff that was uh -huh. that he had, in his childhood that he learned in. So uh, we went from there, and I just picked the thing up, and, man, I lived with that thing. My mama said she'd come in a lot of times uh, in the bedroom. Of course, we were, like I said, we were poor. There'd be like two or three of us in one bed. But she said I'd managed to have that little guitar up there, and she said a lot of times she'd come in there, and I'd be asleep, my foot would be patting. So I, I was I was playing something then. <laughs> you were keeping it in time, even in your sleep. Yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, love, I love it. We're talking to Travis Womack. Travis, influences there was a DJ there in town who was also a rockabilly singer by the name of Eddie Bond. 
when I come in from school and I would get my guitar and I'd go down on Broad Street, which was the main street that had all the grocery stores, the bars and all that, and I'd go in every one of them, I'd play my guitar. I'd even go in, in a couple of beer joints and I'd stand by the jukebox. And when somebody come up to play a record, I'd say, what are you going to play? And they'd tell me, and I'd say, I can play that. So they'd put the, back then I think it might have been a dime, I don't know, maybe a quarter. They'd put it in my guitar and I'd play the song and Two or three times, I had the law come in and run out, you know, but two or three days later, I'd wait till it cooled off a little bit, and I'd go back. But I was, I was down there walking down the Broad Street one day, and this guy walked up to me, and he said, Son, can you play that guitar? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, Can you sing? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, Let me hear you. So I sang a couple of them. He said, Look here. My name's Eddie Bond. He said, I'm a DJ at KWAM here in Memphis. And he said, I do, back then they called the shows Jamborees. He said, yeah. I do jamborees all over the South. And he said, I'd like to get you to open the shows for me. Wow. Would you be interested? And I said, well, you got to go talk to my mom and dad. Yeah. He said, <laughs> we went up there. And, of course, that, that my mom and dad, that was the station they listened to. And, and uh, yes, yes, yes. So here I went. I'm opening the show for Johnny Cash, Carl wow. Perkins, uh, just all the rockabilly singers that were there in Memphis. Uh, a lot of times they'd uh, had to get stand me on a coke case because i wasn't tall enough to reach the, the mic and i i'm playing lead guitar and i'm with too poor to buy one so before the show eddie bunny go backstage he said anybody back here got a electric guitar there let little travis they call me little travis back in <laughs> yeah, so yeah i'd did. get a guitar <laughs> one one night uh one of the good members i can remember carl perkins eddie asked anybody carl said here he can use mine and i said went back there <laughs> he said come here travis and I put it on in a guitar I hung out down around my ankles. He said, Oh, we gotta do something about this. So I can remember he, he reached in his pocket and got a pocket knife and uh, he said, No, Eddie hold it up there where it feels good to him. Come on. He cut a, a hole in his new strap, man. I and that, that I never will forget that. I, I went home and told my mom that I said, You ain't gonna believe what Carl Perkins did. Wow. And uh but it was it was quite a a, a joke for me of being just a a poor kid out of Mississippi, and yeah. my dad was working three jobs. We didn't, we didn't have nothing. And now all of a sudden, I'm, uh, I'm doing these shows, man, and uh, I'm, I'm making uh, twenty bucks a show, which was back in as, that was big bucks. And you know, you got a notch in Carl Perkins' brand new guitar <laughs> strap that will always, that's always been there and always will be. Back then, the union in Memphis was very strict. I mean, uh, you had to be a union member to play in a union band. And they came up to Eddie Bunn when I said, look, little Travis can sing with y'all, but he can't play his electric guitar. Eddie said, well, why? And he said, well, he's not in the union. They said, well, Eddie said, well, we've tried to get him in, y'all. Y'all say he's too young to get in. Yeah. We ended up getting a lawyer. They took it all the way to the national headquarters in New York, and uh, they voted me in, youngest member, to ever wow. be voted into the musicians union 11 years old that's what you call a conundrum you know what i mean i mean it wasn't your fault <laughs> i mean that you were 11 yeah, was, and that yeah. talented <laughs> it was scary they and then uh had my minority removed where i could where i could play in places to serve alcohol then of course all my the guys i was playing with they were 18 19 they they tell me they said you get you get drafted now so oh. you're you're legal you're 21 that me scared yeah yeah <laughs> that's the initiation process i love it we're exactly. talking to travis womack incredible legendary guitar player songwriter uh we're in the keep mississippi beautiful studios and steve azar we'll be right
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I got a beautiful man in Travis Womack. And the man, so many people that I've gotten to know Rick Hall through them. And I'd like to hear your sort of version of, you know, they said he was like a drill sergeant in a lot of ways is what I sort of got, but also uh, knew what a hit was. You know, what was your version of, of understanding him and his influence and impact on you? Rick was wide open. Uh, I mean, he, you know, I brought him a lot of songs that, that we couldn't into his that he wasn't aware of. Because I was, I was doing the shows with you know people like Billy Joe Royal and mm-hmm. and uh, Billy Joe had a thing at Joe South had written called Yo Yo, and uh, we were we were fixing to do the Osmond Brothers and and I brought him a, that uh, song I said Rick, this is a hit for the Osmond Brothers, and I played it and he said it is man he said could you double that guitar riff and I said yes sir, <laughs> and uh, so ended up uh, the Osmonds were were good players the only. The only uh, other session player on Yo-Yo was Bob Ray, the bass player, and me. Wow. They played all the instruments, but uh, yeah, that was one of their one of their biggies, man. But Rick, just uh, you know, he was not close-minded. He would give the musicians, and a lot of the stuff we produced yeah. uh, because he he sat back and let us do it. And and that's what I miss about the recording uh, these days. Back then, we all contributed. With you know, we might make the other man. Now that ain't the thing, you know. But when we got through with it, man, we had a product there. And to me, uh, a lot of people ask me what I think about uh, click track and and that stuff. And, it, and you know, I'm I'm from the old school. I started when I started at 11 years old. It was a single track machine. Yeah. No headphones. <laughs> I mean, you got it right the first time, or you'd have to go back and do it over. And then yeah. I love it because I've went through the whole cycle, and now here we've got these. Pro Tools and all that stuff. So I've, I've been there, climbed the ladder, and uh, but to me, uh, you can't beat going in there. And, you know, just stop think of the hits uh, that's been cut without using the click track, yeah. and just okay. They say it needs to be in the pocket. To me, being in the pocket, if that whole band is in the pocket, you could speed up, add some dynamics to it, slow down. But as long as you're there, because so many of the records you listen to, they got that life. Whereas when you're playing a set click track, I mean, it's the track is laying there. I mean, it's just it's to me, yeah. it ain't got the, it ain't got the feel. Well, so so how much track and, and and records did you play on that you guys didn't use click? Was it more so than not? Yes, all the hits back then was no no click. You were just feeling all the hits in the seventies when Rick Rick Hall got producer of the year. We're talking Mac Davis, Paul Lego. The Osmonds, Donny Osmond, Clarence Carter, Little Richard, Tom Jones, all that stuff, and no click track. We, we just barely knew what the numbers were. <laughs> well, I love it. Oh, no, no, no. There's something about the innocence of that, the naivete, you know what I mean, that, that yeah. allows you... I mean, you know what you did? You got a mind of a child still. It's like if you could, you know, well, you were a child when you were writing songs that young and all that. We, we both were, but you were having success, which is a big difference. So, but I guess what I'm saying is before a kid learns the rules of the English grammar, the, mm-hmm. the when things that come out of your, you know, when you had kid, our kids, I mean, they would say things sort of twisted and backwards, and I would go, "What the heck?" You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's brilliant, <laughs> you know, because yeah, they, exactly. they, yeah. then then you're then they're told they can't say it that way, 
You know, but I love that. Mm-hmm. You guys were sort of like this sort of, I don't mean naive. I, I, that wouldn't be the word. Yeah. But there's something about going in with that sort of independence that allows you, that opens up all sorts of possibilities. And you're, you know, you're, you're Southern players. Uh, gosh, man, I've had, I've had so many people ask me being, me being from Memphis and been living in Muscle Shows for so many years. You know, what is the difference between the Memphis sound and the Muscle Shows sound? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, but I had a, there was one of the sax players that kind of summed it up. I liked his answer. He, and, you know, back in, in the day, I'm going to say over 50% of the players in, in Muscle Shows came from Memphis, was playing on those records. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole horn section was anyway. So I asked him, he, I, he, I said, what's the difference, Ed, between Memphis sound and Muscle Show sound? He said, I can tell you exactly what it is. And I said, what is it? He said, about 150 miles. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's and, good. <laughs> and he's pretty much right. You know, when you're when you're when you're growing up poor and you don't have the money to to buy all the expensive instruments and uh, and go to the music colleges and things, uh, I, I call it learning from the heart, not the chart. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I mean, look at BB King. What he can do that one string, oh, man. Oh. It, it can get more feeling, and it's the it's just it's it's a feel thing. Yeah, I mean, you guys, we're never gonna see it like you guys had it and did it. You know what you guys no. did was there was this time. Uh, it was a revolution. It was it was creating things that had never been done before. In a way, I want to ask you about. Did you know? So I, I got to know really well in Nashville, Billy Burnett. Now, wasn't his what his dad and uncle weren't they big pioneers of the rockabilly scene? His dad is. His dad and, and, and his dad's brother, Johnny and Dorsey. Right, right, Rocky, right, right. Rocky Burnett and Billy Burnett. Right. I uh, was the two boys. and But Dorsey and Johnny were brothers. Uh-huh. They had a group called the Rock and Roll Trio there in Memphis. And uh, guitar player was Paul Burleson. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, they were on the Ted Mack Hour. That's how they got their break. And, and uh, where were they? they? Were they older than you, Travis? Oh, yes, yes. They, uh, they were... Uh, they were... 18 and 19, okay. but they lived in the same the same neighborhood as I, Binghampton. I wonder if it was something in the and, water. Uh, <laughs> you guys were, they were they the were same golden water. glove boxers. <laughs> oh, they really? Golden glove boxers. Yeah, they had a ring set up in the field out there, and uh, <laughs> and they were they, uh, Paul Burleson. He was a heavyweight champ, and uh, uh, Dorsey Dorsey was a uh, I think the middleweight. But yeah, man, and, and let me tell you something. I've seen some fights that in the uh, backstage. They'd get into it, man. It just <laughs> unreal. Wow. But yeah, they uh, they had a, uh, their first song, uh, "Tear It Up," and uh, that thing, a uh, uh, great rock and rock and roll rockabilly thing. I I do it a lot, and I usually end my show with it. But uh, but they uh, they uh, they they did a lot of a lot of shows that I that I worked on there in Memphis uh, back when I was a kid. And you know, I think when you're young, I think when you're young, Steve. That, your memory's better. You, I can remember things back that happened back then. Uh, I couldn't drive, so I'd always get somebody I know. Like uh, we had a uh, Harold Dorman that, that had the first uh, Mountain of Love hit record mm-hmm. that he had written. His guitar player uh, was my neighbor, and he'd always take me up to Sun when they record up there. And uh, I got in with everybody, so I would I would get to go up there. Uh, I made my first record at Sun when I was ten years old. 
that was back when it was, uh, I think it was called American Recording uh, Services. Same time Elvis went up there and, and made a record for his mom. And it's kind of ironic. I've, for $4, you could do both. You could do two two sides on the acetate. One side, I did a rockabilly song of a, a singer and that I had been playing with, playing drums with back then, Charlie Feathers. He's a, he's a great rock and one of the, one of the top rockabilly singers uh, in Europe. He had a song that he called Tongue Tied Jill. <laughs> I recorded that on one side. On the other side, I recorded Tootie Fruity by Little Richard. Yeah. And, you know, Years later, I became a guitar playing player. Guitar playing. For Fifteen years. I mean, could hey, hey, could you ever script it out? There's no way. There's no way that you would be. It's unreal. I love it. We're talking to Travis Womack. Travis, you know that we're the birthplace of American music. You cross over the line. Memphis claims to be. You and I both know Memphis is actually the capital of North North Mississippi. You just got hey, somebody I'm drew the line wrong, right? I'm a Mississippi boy. I'm I, I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So you, uh, we'll talk. Uh, we're, you know, we're the birthplace of American music. You get to play DJ. Would you like to hear "Into the Break," uh, Albert King, or Muddy Waters? Either one. Either one. I love both of them. Travis, you can't do that. I love Albert give, King. You got to give me one. Break it up. Somebody's home. Albert King. I love it. Okay. okay. And anything of Muddy Waters. All right. We're gonna do. Th- we're gonna. Do, we're gonna stick with the first. We're gonna stick with Albert King. We are with Travis Womack, legendary, legendary songwriter, guitar player, from Memphis to fame and Muscle Shoals. You're in a Mississippi minute. We keep Mississippi beautiful. Studios. We'll be right back. Hanging on when you belong to someone else Can't control the vibration Cause after all I didn't make myself Got nowhere to turn to Tired of being alone Feel like breaking up somebody's home Humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. The news doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Fox News Radio, late breaking, up to the minute, from around the world, around the clock, here on Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. I am with Travis Womack. He's been in more Hall of Fames than they have them. We're just, we're barreling through a Mississippi Minute, and I'm just so excited to have you on the show, Travis. Travis, let's talk. My pleasure. Great stories. You and I have been around some crazy, wild people in our lives uh, and that, that, are, that are great people, done great things. 
Give me some stories of some guys you worked with that uh, that will not leave your memory bank. One that comes to mind, Lou Rolls. <laughs> Lou Rolls, <laughs> Capitol Records, was sending Lou Rolls down to fame, and the president had called Rick Hall, and he said, look, he's wanting to come down there, and he said, he is hard to work with, Rick. He said, you know, just handle him with kids' gloves. And he's just, you know, Rick said, well, Travis, I want you to be the leader of the session. <laughs> I said, go give me the dirty work, okay. <laughs> so they come down, him and his manager, and I go out on the floor, and the, his manager's opened up a briefcase, and he's he's unfolding a bunch of sheet music. And so I walked up, I, I said, Mr. Ross, Travis Womack, I'm going to be the band leader. What what, what, uh, what do you want to record? He said, he said Travis, he said, uh, I want to do a tribute album to Sam Cooke. I said, oh, man, I love Sam Cooke. I said, well, let me ask you this. I, I'm, uh, are you wanting us to play like we play, or do you want us to play that music that, that y'all are unfolding? He said, oh, I've come down here for the Muscle Show sound. I said, well, we're not going to use that music here. I said, we, we do everything from the heart. I said, what song are you going to start on? He said, uh, bring it on home to me. So I, I, I picked a guitar up, and I, I went hit a couple of licks and things. He said, the way I felt it, you know, oh, man, he loved it. He was the easiest guy in the world to work with. And if you get a chance to listen to Lou Rawls, bring it on home to oh, me. Wow. Uh, what, and, you know, he he had a great uptown voice, you know, kind of Vegas voice. But this guy could sing funky. I mean, he was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his voice, come on, that low voice, you'll never find. Yeah, and, you know, he's, he was the harmony voice on a lot of the Sam Cooke stuff. I won't bring it on home to me. He was the harmony voice there. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. I didn't know that until he, he told us, yes. What did his manager do once he saw you guys gelling like that? Did he back off and go get coffee? And- oh, yeah, yeah. He, he you know, he, everyone, everyone blew on it. He was happy. <laughs> and then we then we had a Wilson Pickett. There was a little bitty mini-mart next to Fame Studio, and, and this, this guy, he parched peanuts. Man, you could. We'd get out of our vehicle, and you could smell them parched peanuts. And, of course, me and the guitar player, we, we loved them. We, we smelled them. We said, let's go get some peanuts. So we we go get us a couple little bags of peanuts. We're in the studio, got all of our stuff set up, and we read in. About that time, Rick Hall and Wilson Pickett walks in, and he, he brought him over and introduced Wilson to us. And so uh, they get about halfway up uh, the steps to the control room, and I see I see Wilson pointing to us and then saying something to Rick, so, Rick takes him in there and says, and Dan, Rick comes out to us. He said, hey, guys, y'all need to get rid of the peanuts. Said, Do what? He said, need to get rid of the peanuts. I said, why? He said, uh, Wilson said it's bad luck to eat parched peanuts on session. <laughs> we said, we thought, excuse you kidding? He said, no. <laughs> so we got rid of the peanuts until we took a break. <laughs> but, That's yeah, so that was pretty pretty strange. <laughs> so but my strange. biggest story, man, my biggest story of, of anybody we recorded with was Mac Davis. Oh, love it. Mac, Mac came down, and like I said, Rick made me leader again. Cause I could talk to the guys and just kind of find out what they wanted to do and everything. And uh, so I asked Mac, I said, Mac, what are we going to do? And he said, Travis, he said, I've written some great hit songs, man, like in the ghetto, whoever finds this, I love you, mentioned a bunch of things. He said, but I want to be a star, man. He said, you guys are hot. Man, he said, I'm going to tell you something. And he said, I'm not blowing smoke, Travis. He said, if you guys could cut a number one record on me, he said, I would buy every one of you guys a Cadillac. Come on. And I, I said, well, you know, well, I can't promise you that. But I said, well, yeah, it, we're, we're, we're pretty hot right now. So I said, but look here, you're a writer. I said, a lot of the songs that are hitting out there are songs that's got hooks to them. I said, you know, people sang along with us. I said, you know, if you could write one, 
if you could write one with a you know hook to it. And uh, he come in the next morning. He was making a joke of it. He said, "Me and Rick was there." And he said, "Boys, I got one that's got a hook to it." <laughs> and uh, he started doing "Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me." Oh, we looked. Man. Me and Rick looked at each other. And we said, "That that's a hit, man." Huh? That's a hit, Mac. So uh, we cut the thing three weeks later. Number one in the USA. What? We get a call from from his manager. He says, uh, "Max wanting to know if Travis and the bass player and drummer can come out to Vegas. That he's open for Jack Benny out there for seventeen days, and he's got a symphony playing with it, but he needs needs that rhythm section." So uh, Rick asked us, "You, you want to go?" We said, "Yeah." And so the rest of the guys said, "Hey, ask him about our Cadillacs. This thing's number one." <laughs> and uh, so we get out there in the second night. I got to talk to Mac. I said, "Look here, Mac." Um, <laughs> You know, you told us we cut your number one record. I said, the thing's number one. I'll work on all the charts. Uh, guys back home and us, where's our Cadillac? You going to ship them out? He said, well, Travis, you misunderstood me. What I'm going to do, I'm going to send one Cadillac down to fame, and you guys can take time about driving, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, we never seen that Cadillac either. <laughs> so I, I do the song on some of my shows, and I call it the Cadillac song. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I love it. All right, you know what's funny? I thought it was Hooked on a Feeling, not Baby, Baby, yeah. Don't Get Hooked on Me. That's a yeah. different song, no. right? Yeah, exactly. BJ had one hooked on a feeling. Oh, BJ did. That's right, not Mac. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay, so so wait, wait, wait. I had You brought up some interesting... Okay, three weeks is what I wanted to talk to you about. Are you kidding yep. me? So you guys were three that weeks. hot that... Three weeks, it, well, was, a, it was a number one how'd you? How did a record label even get things pressed and get them out there to radio and set it up? There was no setting it up time. I mean, what were they... they were. They, it was just... You know, they, it, it was just... I don't know, man. It was just they were... He was hot, like I said, with, in the ghetto and Elvis and everything. And, and uh, I don't know, the guy, you know, he, he just... I mean, it, it was the right place at the right time, I guess. They're just listening, and when it moves them and that hair does start to stand up, you know you got something. I mean, you've done something, yes, and you've impacted, like you said, from the heart. You played from your heart. Yeah. Had a blind blind man we recorded, Clarence Carter. Uh, we recorded yeah. a song called Patches. I had found that song on an album by the chairman of the board, and I brought it to Rick, and Rick had never heard it, and I said, Rick, this is a hit on Clarence Carter. And he listened to it, and he said, I don't think you're right, Trev. He called me Traveler. So we got Clarence in, let Clarence hear it. Clarence didn't like it at first. He didn't like it. Uh, talking about poor man and everything. But anyway, we cut it on him. When it started climbing the charts, Clarence got happy. He started liking it. Yeah, number one record. He had a guy he brought up uh, from Montgomery, another blind man. This man's name was Israel Talbert. And uh, he came up. We recorded a song on him. It was funky. And so when Rick Hall got in, I, I took the tape copy up there and I said, Rick, this is a hit, R&B hit, man. And I uh, played it. And he said, I, I don't know. And uh, so I said, well, I think it is. So the next day, a, a DJ from Nashville, John R., who was one of the top top DJs back in, he was in town, and uh, had, he brought an artist up for us to record. And I told him, I said, I've got this thing we, we recorded on this blind man, Israel Tolbert. And I said, I think it's a hit. So uh, he wanted to hear it. Well, we go back out to the truck again. <laughs> and, <laughs> the uh, truck it I love it. <laughs> he said, man, he said, I got how can I get in touch with him? And I told him, and anyway... It, this thing became a number one R&B record, and since then, every blues player in the world has recorded this song. It was called "Big Leg Woman with a Short Short Miniskirt," <laughs> and every blues player out there has played it and got it. And my claim to fame: I 
I think they still use my signature lick I did on the thing. But uh, what a record. Israel yeah. Tobert on Warren Records. You ever get a chance to listen to that thing? It's it's funky, funky. Wow. Okay, so so I spent a lot of time I spent a lot of time with uh Steve Cropper. Did you guys ever work together? We uh, we played shows together. We did. He's a good dude, isn't he? I love him. He is, man. <laughs> you, he is. You talk about play it, you know, you talk about licks like play it Steve, you know, soul man. Uh, you know, that's yeah. him, you know, Booker oh, he, T and <laughs> you know, Steve Steve wasn't a flashy guitar player, but when he played something it said something. I mean it was a signature lick or something. For oh, sure. I love. I, I, I was doing a show. Uh, we were doing. I think maybe the Bob Hope. It was the this celebrity golf deal, and I did a number of years. And I, I remember looking left, and and it was it was uh, 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 Robbie Krieger from the Doors, and and looking right, and it was our man Cropper. And I said, "This, I feel like I'm in the middle of the uprights," you know. <laughs> and, yeah. and they played so different because you know yes. uh, Robbie was but like so respectfully and whatever, <laughs> and yeah. they, I mean, it was awesome, man. It was like I had the grits and the gravy and everything all wrapped up around me. <laughs> it was pretty mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> That's kind of like me and James Burt. I never met him until uh, Elvis had died. And he started playing guitar with Jerry Lee Lewis. We played Madison Square Gardens. I was with Little Richard. Jimmy was with uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, and I met him back in the dressing room, man. And he uh, he told me, I don't know where you know this, but Elvis, is, his favorite instrumental was Scratchy, my guitar instrumental. And when some of his guys was in town, they'd always come over and get a couple of copies of Scratchy. But that's what he introduced musicians with, you can hear it. Yeah, but Scratchy was your was your instrument uh, instrumental uh, full record. It wasn't like some part. It was yeah, your, it was your exactly. record. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, James Burton had told me he said, "Man, I wish I had the money." Every time I played Scratchy, man, he said, "You know that's Elvis's favorite song. That's what wow. we introduced the musician." Talking <laughs> to Travis Womack, incredible, legendary guitar player, songwriter. Uh, we're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I'm Steve Azar. We're gonna be right back. Than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more for news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi. The conversation starts here. Mmm, firefly. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. I am with Travis Wama. I'm the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studio. Travis, who was the artist that you really, really enjoyed working with? Least attitude and fantastic to be with. I'm gonna say probably 99 percent of them are, were all professionals. You had, a, you know, then you had, you had that one that everybody couldn't work with. You know, just he was yeah. pain in the neck, man. Yeah, maybe I but should I, ask that question. A, <laughs> no, but I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> But no, I love that. That means that here's a here's what I think. I think 
that you were a common denominator that made it all gel. I mean, you, you just talking to you now, it sounds like you, your energy is still there and the excitement of of knowing you this song is special and then racing into rick and then you should have named that truck of yours that you brought everybody to the platinum the platinum truck you know that baby <laughs> that baby was printing that wasn't no bronze you didn't want to bronze that truck you wanted to, you wanted yeah. to, uh, millions of millions sold right here that's <laughs> it yeah you know what man i'm you know i just turned 75 i am playing better and singing better i'm raising the key on a bunch of my stuff man usually when you when you get in my age, you dropping the keys down, but I'm I'm tearing the walls down. And like I said, I don't know what I'm playing uh, because I've never taught, and uh, it's just it's, it, I, sometimes I, my only com- competition is me. That's what I tell everybody. Yeah, uh, nobody plays like me, and I try to make my next show better than the last. Oh, I love it. No, I know. I I'm, I'm with you 100. percent All right, let me let, let's talk techno let's talk equipment because like i've got these bridges of why i've gone through more wah-wah pedals in my life and my <laughs> guitar tech has saved all my broken ones he said steve you have no idea how many i've got and so i said yeah. well i don't have any that works right now and i need to get a new one to order me some more and i love the cry baby because it just it's old school you have the fuzz mm-hmm. tone all right tell me about this and and what goes into creating the the sound as far as the technical side of it well you know um back Back then, uh, the sound was just real, real clean. And and I one day I was messing around my house, and I took a, I was playing a Fender Super Reverb, and uh, I took the Fender Super Reverb and I put two alligator clamps on a speaker cable with a quarter inch plug on the end, and uh, I plugged it into a little tape recorder I had, and uh, turned that thing up, and man, there was my distortion unit, and uh, the. That's what I used on Scratchy, and I'd, and I'd wow. use it on my shows and stuff. And uh, about that time, I got a call from the Melody Music Store, which was one of the top music stores in Memphis. The owner, and he said, uh, Travis, uh, uh, can you get your daddy to bring you out there, out here to the store? said, uh, there's a Gibson representing here, and he's got a he's got a thing. He wants to see if you'll endorse for the company. And so uh, my daddy took me out there, and he was a... Uh, an old orange box had a cord that you plug, come out of, plug in the amp, you know, uh, you plug the other end of your guitar, and uh, I played it. It it was terrible. I said, I, 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 now, and like a dummy, you know, I turned them down. I could, if I let them endorse it, I could have got on the guitar or whatever. But I said, no, that's not my sound. And uh, so uh, about a, I guess it was probably a month later, we go into a job, me and the bass player. We listened to the radio, and all of a sudden I hear this this song come on, and I said, turn it up. He turned it up, and I said, man, I can't believe it. He's, I said, do you know what that is? Listen up there. Huh. He said, what is it? I said, that's that, that's that damn pedal that I turned down that, <laughs> that Gibson wanted me to endorse. And uh, you know what it was? What was it? Satisfaction, the Rolling Stones. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, Wow. Sir. Wow. That was it. That was a, It was called a Gibson Mastro Fuzz. Huh. I love it. But, uh, Keith, Keith Richards. Finally two, yeah, Keith Richards must have used 2006, it. 2006, <laughs> Gibson finally gave me, honored me and did a documentary on me and gave me, gave me a 335. <laughs> I'm looking at mine right <laughs> now. I got one, and you know, I've got one. Mine that I've, uh, now they've given me uh, quite a bit of guitars. I'm looking at probably about seven or eight of them in my studio right now. But I've got the, the yeah. one that I love the most is my 335 I got in 86, which was a reissue. 
And, uh, yeah, okay. And so it's what? How many years? I didn't want to count. Never mind. Let's don't count. The bottom line is over 30 <laughs> years old. But that thing, man, yeah. I love it. It's still play. And you know what? No matter what amp you plug it in, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Just unbelievable. Yeah, Overall, get to that 335. Woo! I love. Well, they should have given you a lot more than a 335. Uh, Not you, yeah. But, but and you still have you still have a truck owed to you, or car, or a Cadillac owed. I mean, there's some things. Yeah, there's it. some things you're supposed to have right now. I need. You, I need. We need to get you another agent and get a, go get all that or a lawyer. <laughs> I, I do. I need that Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. This has been awesome getting to know you. And the life that you've lived is just extremely special. And I'm grateful my listeners in a Mississippi Minute gets to share a little, little piece and a blurb of it. Because, because I mean, man, Travis, that's cool. My pleasure, Steve. Enjoy it. Thank you, buddy. You're the best, pal. I'll see you later. Thank you. Travis Womack, legend. We're out of here. Later, I'm Steve Azar, in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank, with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.